0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is brought to you by most valuable podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Are the Baylor bears in more trouble than we thought previously is Duke basketball in a world of hurt. And are the Gonzaga bulldogs really on their way to greatness? We're going to find out tonight here on the Primetime Podcast, Brandon Swanson, Ricky Widmer. I'm on this side now. Ricky moved over.
1: Ricky moved over. Like, if you're on Blog Talk Radio, it sounds the same. You're like, okay, I hear a different voice. But yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm on the other side now. So this feels weird. This isn't the fast break. This is the Primetime Podcast. But yeah, I'm on the other side now.
0: You are on the other side. How does it feel?
1: Uh, it's, like I said, it feels like Dave should be here, because that's what I'm used to. But it's nice having all this room to kind of do what I like with.
0: Sure. <laughs> sure, I'm not sure what you're going to do I, with like, that. I but... can sit
1: over here, or I can come over and I can sit closer to the camera, but I, I can't do that. I don't know how Dave does it. But I'm excited to talk about college sports today. A little football-basketball <laughs> action we got going on A little
0: football-basketball action, and, and Ricky, I, I actually... I actually was the the one for the for the fans. Ricky is usually the one who comes up with the topics mm-hmm. and and shoots them over to me, and I take a look at them and uh, then dive into them a little bit. But well, you this... really
1: give your final your final say on it. Oh, like sure. You're the one that gives the, the the final blessing.
0: Yeah, usually I'm at work <laughs> and I look at it in a in my on my email. I'm like, good, good to go. But I, I actually was the one who brought up the topics uh, for today. And this first one, I really wanted to take a look at Ricky. And this first one, we'll dive right into is is Baylor and we had talked a lot about Baylor over the summer with their I think scandal we've done and
1: two podcasts on this we, exact subject we, before. We've done
0: we've done we've done plenty <laughs> with Baylor, but there was something that surfaced on Twitter over the weekend that I saw mm-hmm. and that's how I kind of kind of jumped at it because I thought that we were moving past this unfortunately it doesn't look like we are. So the Washington Post published a an article that Headlines lawsuit alleges Baylor football rape scandal more widespread than reported. And then in the first in the first paragraph, it reads a federal lawsuit filed Friday alleged that at least thirty one thirty one football players at Baylor University committed at least fifty two, quote, acts of rape end quote over four years, including five gang rapes. Two of which involve 10 or more players at the same time, some of whom videotape the rapes on their phones and pass the recordings around to teammates. And that's just the first paragraph.
1: It's sickening. It is like, absolutely, like hearing what you just read, like actually hearing it, makes me sick to my stomach. And like the first, when I was thinking about it today, after you texted me, like, oh, these are the three topics. And after I'm like, okay, yeah. I like these. These are really good topics. You start to think about it. You start to kind of dive in and obviously research the topic a little bit. And the the main thought that I had about Baylor, and it mainly goes to the question of like you threw out of, should they get the death penalty? Because of the the sick feeling I got in my gut, is there any way you could say no? I mean, we look at, I immediately thought about what happened at Penn State. I mean, that's, it's not the exact same thing, but you're telling me that this isn't at least on the same level as what happened at Penn State. The only difference is this didn't involve kids. That's the only difference. And to me, like I just reading it, five gang rapes, getting the video passed around like a school I think that this is, this is the exact meaning of when they use the phrase lack of institutional control. That's exactly what this is law, like lack of institutional control is what we're seeing right here. What, what is coming out of the woodwork like cockroaches?
0: I I think it's not only a lack of, of, you know, kind of institutional control and and, and things like that, but I think it's, it's also a, a lack of it's it's certainly a lack of poor judgment by mm-hmm. i i think the the football program to know that some of these things were going on uh because they did know that some of these things were going on and they hid them and and they they hid them for the reason of not bringing light to something that is terrible not bringing light to something that that happened i mean i don't think that you have 17 women come forward And all 17 of these women are lying. I just don't think that that's going to happen. And I think that it's really reprehensible. It really is. I mean, that's the the word that they they use in this article. Mm -hmm. Reprehensible. Just terrible. That this is continuing to come out because what was the number? The number, I believe, it was 19... 19 players were accused of domestic or sexual assault by 17 women. That's what they had found. That's what they had originally found. Mm -hmm. And now, saying at least 31 football players at Baylor University. No
1: fewer. At least 31.
0: And Baylor athletics officials, the, the, the lawsuit claims that Baylor athletics officials created a, quote, culture of sexual violence, end quote, by using the promise of sex to entice top football recruits. And one Baylor assistant uh says do you like white women and uh then they said because we have a lot of them at baylor they love football players uh, so i i i think that uh you know it's I, just I, I, it's obviously, exactly what
1: i said it's sickening obvi- sickening
0: obviously there are a a ton of of women on the camp i mean mm-hmm. you're having a big campus like baylor you've got obviously a ton of men a ton of women and yes some of them have wonderful experiences with some wonderful football players. But unfortunately, for these 17 now 18 women, they did not. They did not. And and I, I find it no, it's hard. It's not
1: just that, their lives are ruined.
0: I find it hard to see that we have a, an article in the Washington Post of reputable newspaper.
1: Yeah, it's not that's some blog by this is, Joe Blow. Yeah,
0: exactly. This is stuff that has happened. Mm-hmm. And again, reading five gang rapes, two of which involved 10 or more players at the same time, and some of them videotaped them. That is disgusting. It's disgusting. And Ricky you said it. Those those lives of those women. They are ruined. They are ruined. They are ruined forever.
1: And I'm not saying that as a, oh, because this happened, you can't come back from it. But it's one of those things where, like, I can't imagine what it must feel like to have had that happen to you and to just feel for the victim. That's why I say their lives are ruined. And I, like, I look at this story and not to, like, not to get all... Like Social Justice Warrior, you see like a white knight about this story. But the thing that I hate about it most is this is what, and it really has a lot of similarities to what we see in our culture today, how women are depicted, how women are treated. Um, There's a reason why so many women not too long ago got together in different cities to, to get together just to say, we are here and we are going to stand for what we believe in. And I just, if if Baylor doesn't get the death penalty, there is something massive, massively wrong. Because the first thing I'm going to think of and maybe this isn't right, but it will be the first thing that crosses my mind, is, okay, so it's not okay if someone does it to a child, but if someone does it to just a regular college woman, then the NCAA is saying that's okay. That's what will go through my mind, because immediately what I will compare this to Is Penn State because in my lifetime, since I've been a college football fan, I'm not really going to say my lifetime because when I was an early kid, I like college sports. I wasn't as attached to it as I am now. My first real love was the NFL, which then got me into college football, and where I really like it started from there. But yeah, that's what I'm going to attach it to is. This is going to be linked with, in my mind, the Penn State scandal. And really, it's if they got the death penalty, then Baylor deserves the death penalty. And the one thing you got to think of, I know that we talked about, oh, well, the AD, the president, basically all the way up the chain. This doesn't just stay with the athletic department, you got to go also to the top in the head. Of the school. And like I said, we did bring up the president when we talked about it before, the president of the university. That is, everyone's at fault. Everyone is at fault, especially. And because of this, because of what you said with the promise to recruits of sex, I said it before, I will say it again. Usually I'm not like this, but I will. I hope Art Bryles never gets a job again. Usually I am the, okay, you get a second chance. Then if you ruin that second chance, then it's you're done. But this is something where if you're in charge of recruiting, and you can can give that lie all you want of, oh, well, it was an assistant coach. It wasn't me. It was your staff. And I hope he never gets a job at any level of football, any level, high school, college, nothing. If I'm concerned, you're done being a football coach. Find something else to do.
0: And one of the things I wanted to bring up was that the lawsuit alleged that uh, Baylor enticed them, you know, to bring them in to to football recruits with the promise of sex, not that they actually did. If it's, but
1: if it's true, then I was everything say, I said. don't want to get you don't yeah,
0: want to get wrapped up in fake news or alternative facts, it, but you certainly want to be able to say that the lawsuit alleges before, that that happened. Before
1: everyone starts commenting, if it's true, I stand by those comments.
0: I, I, I think that I think that you're right. I think that uh, Art Bryles, I mean, I know I said it a while back when we talked about it in the mm-hmm. summer. I... I I can't believe that he, as a football coach, as a guy who, what's what's your job as a football coach? To, to get these players ready to win games, but to also make these better men. Make them better men. Better, better characters. Better guys who can go out into the world, do something with themselves. Do something with their lives and improve and hopefully help the lives of other people. And clearly he did not do any of those things outside of helping them to win some football games. Mm-hmm. But he certainly did not make them better men off the field. That is clear. And no. one of the things that I wanted to bring up though is that one of the one person who commented on Twitter when I saw this article again, I saw this article on Twitter and someone who brought up someone brought up a point of if if Penn State didn't even get the death penalty for that, for what happened there, then Baylor certainly is not getting the death penalty. And even some of the things that were brought on Penn State. Some of those things were lifted eventually. Ricky, your thoughts. I know that you you are saying kind of strongly right now that if, all, if these are true, if these new things that have been brought to light mm-hmm. are true, you're saying death penalty for sure.
1: Well, it's one of those things of at this point in time, Baylor should, in my mind, get the death penalty. Now – the reason why we call it a death penalty is look at Penn state. Their their program was dead for those years. And then it took a man. I'm going to say a man because Bill O'Brien did a great job kind of coming in, showing what Penn state football can be, what it should be. And then look, the death penalty was then taken off. They're not in the death penalty anymore. Penn State football is fine. We're not hearing anything of scandal anymore for right now at Penn State. And I know what you're saying. Well, Ricky, we didn't hear about the scandal when it was going on. So you really never know what's going on behind closed doors, even though I'm not trying to say that anything is. With Baylor, though, they need the death penalty. I'm going to say they need it until Baylor can find that guy to come in and resurrect this program. And the one thing that even makes me, and this is to go back a little bit with the Art Briles thing, because I wanted to look it up before I said which way I was going to phrase it. We all know that Art Briles is married, has a wife, but the thing that is even more troublesome to me is he has a daughter, at least one daughter. And the one that I'm looking at is um, um, his daughter, Staley who is married and she's Staley Lebby, not um, Staley Bryles anymore. But the thing that I would think of, and maybe this is because I, it's just a point of if I was a father, what I would think of, it would make me sick to my stomach to know that my football players were involved with this because the first thing I would think of is what if that was my daughter? What if that was my daughter? I know that's the thing that everyone says, but that's the only way it is going to mean something to you personally if you put it into the shoes of I mean he's got a niece he's got a daughter like there is like there are ways that it should have been personal to our trialsles to where he should have said this isn't right something needs to happen but Two things happened. One, Art Browse is in the business of winning football games, and you got to win football games to keep your job. And two, it kind of goes back to a thing I think about where it's, it's there's a human instinct in us, and we've had it since we were kids. I know I did. I had it when I was a kid. You do something wrong, and I'm not saying something as catastrophic as this, But how many times have you, and you guys can answer this in the comment section, have done something as a kid, and uh, your first thought was, well, fuck, I don't want to tell my parents. I'm going to get in trouble. Everyone's got that. Everyone has that. But what builds the character? What do they say is the right thing to do? You man up, or you woman up, and you say, you know what? I made this mistake. I'm sorry. I did this. It was wrong. And hopefully... Whoever is on the other side forgives you because you are sorry. That didn't happen here. It didn't happen. And it got swept under the rug because we got to, like, that's my big thing. We got to win football games. Well, to me, and maybe it was because before I'm doing what I do now for my day job, I used to teach. And the biggest thing for me wasn't just teaching the students about the lesson, it was also preparing them to be adults. You're doing the same thing as a coach. And in that sense, I'm going to say our brows failed in that mission, making these young men at the Baylor football program, better people because better people would not do this.
0: Ricky, I'm going to throw something at you here, and I want you to kind of mm-hmm. take it when I throw it out there to you, take it, digest it, see what you thought is so. Here's, here's an example of a team that did get the death penalty. Okay. So this was SMU, Southern Methodist University. So this is the Southern Methodist University football program scandal. It was also known as Ponygate. Incident in which the football program at SMU investigated, punished uh, for massive violations of NCAA rules regulations. So, of course... Obviously, uh, death penalty is the the harshest uh, thing that can happen to a team in the NCAA, and it was the maintenance of a slush fund that was used for under the table payments to players from the mid 1970s through 1986, and this all culminated into the death penalty. The entire 1987 schedule was kaput, and they were even they were allowed to come back in 1988, but they sat that out. They opted out of that Mm -hmm. season because it would be impossible to field a stable team. Ricky, my question to you, after just reading that, and SMU's football team was given the death penalty for a slush fund for under-the-table payments to players. Now, this is back in a different time, different era. Mm -hmm. NCAA now... They did could not even do that for Penn State, and they have yet to do that for Baylor. Is the NCAA soft?
1: Well, the thing I first think of is you brought up that, which I'm just getting it straight because the Ponygate was outside of my realm. That was just like you said, paying players under the table, basically playing them for your pay. Isn't that similar to what USC did? USC, I mean, the agents, the um, Reggie Bush, the getting things for playing and getting recruits into the door, promising them stuff like that. And they got a they get a two-year postseason ban. And I'm looking at an article right now that was written six years ago, and t- the headline reads, USC sports receives harsh penalties. Well, to me, I feel like something like this and – I would love to know what you guys think because this is what's most important. We give our opinions and then we get your opinions down in the comment section and we make this the conversation that it is. I would think that it would be a no-brainer or at least in my mind a no-brainer that Baylor deserves the death penalty until we figure out or in my mind until the right person we can find the right person who wants to come in and resurrect this program because right now this program is not on good footing. And I say that not wins and losses or anything to do on the field right now. It's a, like I mentioned a lot with it. was this the fast break that I'm thinking? I can't even think straight now, but it's one of those things. Whenever I think of whenever a, a team wants to bring in a head coach, the first thing I think of is, Oh, you want a guy like Luke Walton with the Lakers right now? He's trying to build that winning Culture, that's the key word here. Who's going to be that coach to come in and fix the culture that's wrong at Baylor? Now, it's going to be hard because players won't want to play for a team that is under the death penalty because you get limited scholarships, and basically they call it the death penalty for a reason because your program is basically dead. But I think that it needs to happen for Baylor and Part of me, not to kind of point the finger or anything, but this is a thought I had today and I want to bounce it off of you, Brandon, is if it was you, would you think if you were the NCAA, you know what, let's just do our due diligence, let's do an investigation, a little uh, house cleaning here for the entire Baylor athletic program. Kind of a if it's happening in one sport, it might be happening with a different team. Not to say that it is, but let's just make sure that it's not an athletic department issue and just a football issue.
0: I think that's extremely important. I think that right now Baylor is in it's in such dire straits right now because th- again, obviously this story comes out that's no good. I think that you really do have to take a look internally at everything, and and obviously it was taking a look at the at the football program. But mm-hmm. who's to say that that couldn't be happening somewhere else? If you if you're president, you're athletic director, you know, weren't able to see what was going on here in a football program, your probably your biggest program, football, mm-hmm. a, and probably the biggest money maker.
1: How are you not? No, it is the biggest how, money maker. How are you
0: not able to see what's going on? How how do you not have any? any impact on what's going on or any direction. I mean, being able to to see. I mean, I I see an an athletic director. I know in in my job, Mm -hmm. I see the contact that the athletic director has with coaches. They have meetings. They have discussions. They have talks. He, He knows what's going on. There's a lot of other people in it as well. It's not just him and the coach and that's it. There's other people involved. There's compliance. There's this. There's that. People know. People know what's going on, so the athletic director, I guarantee you, he had to have known this could be a very big systemic problem. My my kind of final thought before we wrap up this mm-hmm. segment, and and I throw it over to you for your final thought. Okay. My final thought: Baylor football should be canceled in
1: twenty seventeen. I I oh like I want to say death penalty. The only reason why. I don't know if I want to go as far as canceled in 2017 is because I think of, I want to say it's Coach Rowe. That's who I think of. The man who they just hired to become the head football coach of Baylor. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Ricky, it's one of those things where our Met Rule, pardon me, Coach Rule. I feel for him, it's one of those things where, If we can't, if we just came out and canceled the 27 season for Baylor, that would be me saying, why am I punishing this man for something he did not do? And I know you're saying, well, but Ricky, we're really punishing the Baylor football program. But that's what I think about. Why punish this man who did such a great job at Temple that I'm hoping Baylor brought in to right the ship? If they didn't, then they're idiots, and I have no problem saying that. I think that Baylor deserves the death penalty, and like I said, I hope I hope it's Matt Rule. I hope it's him to be the Bill O'Brien for Baylor, to bring them out of it. They need to find the man, and I'm going to not say the coach. I'm saying the man that is going to bring Baylor out of these dark times and bring the football team out of these dark times because— It's not something where I think that, you know what, just get rid of it and you can never have a football team again. But I do believe in here's the death penalty. You're as close to death as possible as a program. Come back from this.
0: And the reason why I say cancel 2017 is because, yes, I see it. I see that there are good, good guys on that team. I understand that, and I do feel for them. I I think that it would be terrible to have it canceled. But if you cancel the 2017 season, you give him an opportunity to recruit, go out to these guys, excuse me, and say, so
1: you'd still be and, paying and, and,
0: and say, yes.
1: Okay. And then yes, I can I'm get, still him, paying him. I can get, on I'm board still, pay, with I'm that. still paying
0: him because he still has to go out and recruit for when we're good to go in 2018 okay. Okay. because you're going to go out. You're going to say to guys, Hey, we're clean. We've cleaned it up. We've had a year of, we have had a year in rehab. We've cleaned it up. The system is clean. We're good to go. We're not going to be under the microscope anymore. We want to do it the right way and send him out there and go get guys.
1: I'm on board with that. And not the only thing I would change is maybe not cancel it because I would death penalty, which would lead to postseason bans and the Big 12 championship game that will be coming back. Obviously, that would be in that postseason band, But then it could give him a chance to – because I, I kind of feel like it'll be hard to build a culture without football actually going on. This is the big year where he can try to get the get the players out that are well, not going to fit this culture. And basically say, this is our culture from day one.
0: All right. And now we're going to get into one of Ricky's favorite teams. Oh,
1: my favorite team. Favorite team. Cannot and, wait to talk about these guys. And,
0: and that, of can't course, that, of course, that, of course... Is the Duke Blue Devils, the 16 and 5, ranked number 21 bl- Blue Devils from Duke. And the reason why we're talking Duke right now is because right now, Ricky, Duke, they're not the Duke team that we've seen, honestly, in the last couple of years. Because right now, about this time, Duke would be making their way into the top five.
1: They'd be a if solid not,
0: two seed. If I was going to say, if solid not, solid two seed. You know, one of the. Top one, two, or three teams, mm-hmm. and right now that's just not happening with Duke. Because why? It's just so many different factors. Grayson Allen has not been that you, great you this got, season. You got
1: to start with him, but he, but he you hasn't start but really.
0: He hasn't he hasn't produced the way that he was able to produce last season. He hasn't been able to do it. Duke has handled plenty of injuries. They get Emile Jefferson back, but even mm-hmm. him coming back from injury has not fully helped the Duke Blue Devils. Luke Kennard is leading them in scoring. But they have had... He
1: saved them this past weekend. Saved them. They
0: just squeaked by Wake Forest. It has not been good for Duke, on or especially off the court. Mm -hmm. When you have your head coach bring all the players over to his house and then tell them that you are not allowed to go in the locker room or to wear your Duke jersey until you can respect it, that is no bueno. From my angle.
1: I like that, though, from Coach K. I like that kind of little angle, though, because it kind of puts a lot of emphasis on the team of, like, you know what? Being at Duke is a privilege, not a right. And you are not earning the privilege of wearing that jersey. And another player that I want to mention that hasn't really been didn't play until, what, December 19th because of injury, and since coming back from that injury has not been what we've expected in Harry Giles. So that's another player coming in, another freshman that we thought was going to help bring this Duke team, well, keep this Duke team back at the top, and right now looking at Joe Lenardi's bracketology, Duke is a—they're a f- their a 5th seed, so they're on the same tier as— the other five teams in Florida, Notre Dame, who they're playing right now as we're recording this podcast, and Maryland, and to me, the biggest thing with this Duke team, and this is what I feel, is that last year, like I know that the big thing on ESPN is always Duke doomed without a point guard, and I kind of think, well, is it the point guard thing, or is it, that does this team have a 1st sure leader? We all thought that that'd be Grayson Allen this year, entering, what was it, his junior season this year? And to me, he hasn't really been a leader because obviously we've seen it, the trip of Santa Ana for Elon. Then we had the, I mean, you could call it what you may, but when he j- jumped for that loose ball and kind of pushed the Florida State coach, then there's the, and this is, To me, the one where I think people might have lost their level head and it was nothing to write home about was when he got tangled up with that um, NC State player when he's kind of walking through and they're huddling and then they kind of get tangled together and kind of push away from each other. I thought that was just two guys. That was the NC State player trying to see, hey, if I can get under his skin, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Because I know up here... He's not calm, cool, and collect. So I can get under his skin. So he hasn't really been the leader of this team. I mean, last year, to me, this team had—I mean, it helps when you've got Brandon Ingram, who's now playing in the NBA. But this team, to me, doesn't have that that for-sure leader, like Jaleel Okafor and Winslow— two years ago, also you can't forget when Rashid Solomon was already on that team, Tyus Jones as well, these are guys that like, that was just one year that was the 2014-15 season that was when they won the whole thing Jabari Parker, Rodney Hood these are guys that weren't just to me good players the top players of that team but they were also leaders, And I mean like last year I mentioned Brandon Ingram and this year I just think that this team doesn't have that leader because I think back to with Grace and Allen I mean when I think of his level-headedness or lack thereof of level-headedness I think of very much of comparing that to a old Duke player he's currently the head coach of Arizona State you know who I'm talking about you know who I'm gonna bring up Bobby Hurley I think about that because Bobby Hurley was kind of that same player of you could look at him and see if he was in the same situation. Grayson Allen is he could also let his emotions get to him. The good thing for Bobby Hurley though, he had the most hated player in Duke history, Christian Leitner, to kind of keep him in control. I'm, Bobby's not going to hate the other team because he's going to hate me. All of his hatred is going to be focused on me. That's what I get. Whenever I watch the old documentaries, when they talk about that Duke team, I think of what would Bobby Hurley be like that those years without Christian Laettner. Like, really, to me, Christian Laettner was a good thing for Bobby Hurley because what would his emotions have done if he didn't have Christian Laettner constantly— kind of pushing him, kind of like that older brother like kind of poking you, saying, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, trying to get you going. That's the thing with this team. They don't have a leader, and we all thought Grace and Allen would mature and be that leader.
0: So, Ricky, let me pose the question to you then. Mm -hmm. Do you think that for the factors that I brought up, for the factors that you brought up, do you think that this Duke team is doomed down the stretch and doomed for the tournament or do you think that this duke team is doing in a way in a just cynical sickening way doing doing this going about this and in the back of their minds going hey we are going to come out we are going to surprise people because we're not going to be on people's radars they're going to have us written off because of how we were this season we're going to come out and we're going to run the tables in the tournament what do you think
1: I kind of lean towards the the gloom and doom kind of uh, aspect of it, and my main reason why is because if we look at the bracket for the, I'm just going to look at the ACC tournament right now. If you're unfamiliar, this is how the ACC conference tournament is set up. It's much similar to the Big Ten tournament, where if you are a top four seed, you get a two-day buy. So you're not playing until Thursday, March 9th is your first game of that tournament. If you are seeds eight, nine, five, seven, and six, so basically six through nine, then you get a one-day buy. You're not playing until that Wednesday. But if you are 10 and below, you have to basically play from Tuesday and win one, two, three, four, five games just to win the ACC Conference Tournament. And the one thing I think of is, does Duke need to win that tournament to get in? No. But there's a lot of good competition in the ACC this year. And if I look at this bracket and kind of look where teams are right now, and this is while we are still in the, obviously the Duke-Notre Dame game might change this a little bit, but how it would be right now, is your teams getting the two-day buys, North Carolina, Virginia, Florida State, and Louisville. Those are your teams getting the four buys. Then if we go um, the rest, so five through nine, we've got at five, we've got Notre Dame. At six, we've got Virginia Tech. Georgia Tech's at seven. Syracuse is at eight. Duke just squeaks in at nine. Then it's Miami, NC State, uh, Wake Forest, Clemson, Boston College, and Pitt are playing the rest of the day one games. Right now, they're on the fringe and maybe playing that first game, that first day, I should say, for the ACC tournament. That's unheard of. Duke teams, in our mind, it's one of those, oh, they're going to be two day by. Then North Carolina, maybe even top two seeds in the conference tournament. Hasn't been like that this season. So not only will they have to make a run in the conference tournament, but they're going to have to make a run in the actual tournament. And when we get to that point, I think of the mindset of, here's the devil's advocate to my doom and gloom answer. Is
0: it a blue devil's advocate?
1: It could be a blue devil's advocate. I like that pun. But the thing is, what are we... If Sean brought this up to me this weekend. What are we usually used to with Duke teams? They either lose in the first two rounds of late, or they go on and win the whole thing. Well, maybe this year, because they're a 5-5, five, five, maybe 4 if they can move up, maybe that creates an easier road. Now, I know what you're thinking, Ricky. The bracket is really set up to give 1 and 2s the easiest road to the tournament, but in recent histories, how many times have we seen the two seed upset in this bracket and really one seeds the majority of time make it to the sweet 16 in the regionals. But I don't know. I don't think they're going to make a run this year right now. I wouldn't say they make a run because if we're using Joe Lenardi as of right now, you know who they would most likely play in the second round of the tournament in the South region, UCLA. Because I, I'm going to say UCLA can beat New Mexico State. There's no way this Duke team beats UCLA. So it's that kind of a, what team are they going to run into in the tournament? I I kind of want to say I'd write them off at this point. I wouldn't put them in the national championship, not even in the final four. Maybe not even in the regionals.
0: Duke has five losses on the season. Four of those five losses have been within their conference. So mm-hmm. you talk about that ACC Conference tournament that's going to be difficult for Duke. I <laughs> they think they might to
1: run the table because
0: because of the fact that they they have struggled, they have stunk, they have straight mm-hmm. out been not good at all within their conference so far this season. And now moving down the stretch, they've got Notre Dame tonight, which at this point, with just about six minutes left to go in that second half, Duke leads Notre Dame by one. They've got North Carolina coming up
1: next it was Thursday. was a ten point lead when we started this half, by the way, our this segment, by the way.
0: They've got North Carolina coming up next Thursday at home. They've got Virginia then a couple of days after that mm-hmm. on the fifteenth on the road at Virginia. And oh, then and they play they've Florida got Florida State, Florida State, and, State mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. on the road at North Carolina mm-hmm. to end the season.
1: That's how you end it.
0: And they've already lost to Florida State, and it, they have really they've just really struggled. They've really struggled this season, and I haven't ever seen anything like it with a, a with a Duke team, especially within their conference. It, it, they mm-hmm. have been so shaky, and Ricky, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to have to do other than get better.
1: Well, and the to one,
0: to really get this team going.
1: The one thing I want to say, and this is the thing I brought, I thought of when you mentioned they're out of conference schedule, they're non conference. They only lost one game. Look at the big opponents they played. Yeah, they beat number 21 Florida, which you can see that's a respectable win at that time. But look at the other big opponents they played. They beat Michigan State. Michigan State is not the same team that we're used to seeing from Tom Izzo and the boys. They beat a Rhode Island team that was ranked preseason, but nowhere near the top 25 right now. A Penn State team that is usually at the bottom, playing usually that first or second day, in the Big Ten tournament, and then they lost by two to Kansas. You have to give them credit for that one, Well, I mean, you give them credit, but you still lost.
0: Yeah, I understand. I mean, third third game of the season, you're playing a really good Kansas team, a team that's better than you, and you only lose by two to them, so you keep it close. And
1: and the other thing I want to mention is most of, well, hell, all their non-conference games, what was the last non-conference game they played, Brandon? Arguably the turning moment of this season. They played Elon. What happened during Elon? Can you refresh the uh, the listeners and viewers who don't know what happened against Elon?
0: <laughs> was that the third tripping that
1: incident? Was, that was the third. That was when he tripped the Santa Ana, the player from Elon. That's
0: when he was suspended indefinitely mm-hmm. for one game.
1: Well, for one game, yeah. He missed the—well, he played—no, he missed the Virginia Tech, then came back against Georgia Tech. So— Really, you look at it and you go, that tripping incident, and they haven't been the same team since. That's been the turning point of the season. Because they had won, they lost November 15th, they won, and then that next game, they lose. So, really, I blame the tripping incident, and I don't think Duke. I would be surprised if Duke made it to the the Sweet 16 is 50-50 for me. At this point, I'd be surprised if they even make the Elite Eight. I'd be surprised.
0: So I know what the I know what the title of this of this Duke video is, mm-hmm. but I do have to say I have to come in here and I have to be the the, the that guy. I have to be that guy. Uh, Duke teams. I just have seen it so much in the past that they find a way. They will mess around for so long, and then they find a way to win the games that they need to win to get to the spot that they need to be to be successful. So I actually see this Duke team getting a little bit better down the stretch and I do see them being able to make a bit of a run once they get into the tournament because they're not missing the tournament.
1: If they want to make if they want to win the tournament, of course they're going to make it but if they want to win the tournament, they're gonna need one of their guys and huh it's one of the biggest positions that they're missing is the guy I'm gonna say they need. They need someone on this team to turn it on conference tournament time and tournament time. Like Kemba Walker did for UConn. The great Big East tournament where they ran the table, came in as a double-digit seed, ran the table, and won it all. That's what Duke needs. They need someone to do that. I don't think they got it.
0: Well, right now, Duke needs a lot. Mm -hmm. And one thing that would help them would be a win against Notre Dame. They're playing Notre Dame right now. All right, Ricky, and we are going to start the final segment of the podcast tonight. And we are talking about... Gonzaga and Gonzaga, they are number one in the rankings for the just second time in school history, 22 and oh, 22 and oh, they jump from three to one. And Ricky, this team right now, absolutely something special. But at 22 and 0 do the Gonzaga Bulldogs deserve to be the number one team in the nation
1: oh i think they deserve it i mean whenever you can at this point go winless into well basically almost to february then you deserve to be number one the only thing and the only thing i think of when you brought up this topic and i was like oh we're going to talk about gonzaga is i just think to myself i'm like you know what their biggest knock is that they just play they just play in a weak conference. And I mean the WAC, or the WCC, pardon me, not the WAC, the Quack. I guess that's how it sounded. I'm not a wordsmith. The WCC clearly is It's just not as strong as like an ACC, a Power 5 kind of conference. And when you look at them this season, though, they have some reason to say, hey, no, we deserve to be at this table because when I look at their schedule, the last 12 games and their upcoming games, their last 12 is obviously all wins, but it's their conference, South Dakota, Pepperdine, Pacific, uh, San Francisco, Loyola, Marymount, St. Mary's, Santa Clara, Portland, San Diego, Pepperdine. Are those like besides St. Mary's, are those teams that you go, man, can't wait for Gonzaga to Whoop on that team. But uh, to me, really, you look at their RPI top 50, and that's what really does it for them. I mean, they beat Florida, who has an RPI of nine at the time, 77 to 72. They beat Iowa State by two. They beat Arizona. That's a really good win. I mean, Akron, lower half of the top 50, so not the strongest, but they blew them out 61 to 43. They go ahead and beat Tennessee by 10. And then they beat um, St. Mary's three days before my birthday. And obviously you're saying, well, Ricky, they don't have any top 50 losses because they're undefeated. But I think Gonzaga's done enough just in those top 50 wins to have the number one ranking. And right now, I would say they are the best team in college basketball. The only question that I have is can they keep this up in the tournament? And make a run and go all the way. Can they do it?
0: Well, Ricky, we saw him last year. Oh, we, that was saw, a, we saw him live It was last a year. great
1: game, too. I mean, like, whoever won that game earned it. They earned it. We got to see Sabonis, Dave's favorite player, who's now in the NBA. Um, we also got to see uh, Wilcher, who was on that team, go up against Malachi Richardson in Syracuse. And, oh, that was a good game. It was what a the, great game. One of the Syracuse players lost his shoe that game. That was the game he lost his shoe. Lost to so shoe, got, so we got to see that live at the UC here in Chicago. Well, it
0: was a lot of fun, but I mean, we we saw what Gonzaga was able to do last mm-hmm. season. Obviously, they're 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 different this year. I think they're better, but I think that when you 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 went through already, there are are four wins against the the top fifty.
1: Oh, it's more than four. One, well, uh, two, well, three, I, four, six wins. I'm talking. They're they're more. Oh, the, more, they, the good
0: like, ones. Yeah. I'm talking Florida, ISU, Arizona, and then. St. Mary's. Now so, going to throw
1: Tennessee in there? No. They have 42 RPI? No, nope, absolutely not. So, <laughs> but I'm,
0: I'm looking. I'm looking at. I'm looking at Florida right mm-hmm. now, and I'm looking at Arizona. I think Florida is a much uh, underrated team. I think mm-hmm. they're a much better team than people would give them credit for. I think they're like a 16 and five team that actually can can do some damage. Arizona. Arizona is very good, and I think that people cannot forget how good Arizona is, and that Gonzaga beat them. And you have to let, take a look at St. Mary's, too. St. Mary's, they're 19-2, and two, I believe. Yes, well, they are. I'm not that, making that up.
1: That's really the team that gives, like, if Gonzaga's going to have an arch enemy in their conference, it's St. Mary's.
0: G- Gonzaga, honestly, if you take a look at the rest of their schedule, if you take a look at the rest of their the schedule. Schedule, the the only, schedule, the only other ranked team that they play is St. Mary's. So if they don't lose to St. Mary's, they may not lose again. In the regular season, they mm-hmm. may have an undefeated regular season going into their 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 tournament, and I I think that Gonzaga is primed, primed to have a great run. Honestly, I I think primed to have a great run in the tournament because they've had they haven't had a a ton of wins against you know the number two team, the number three team, the number four, but they have had some really good opponents sprinkled into their schedule throughout their schedule, and they have handled them all, not blowing them out but they have handled them all and they've been able to face them head on and i think that gonzaga they now they they know they've been in this position before they've been in this position before at number 1 for the second time 2013 was the last time i think they're primed for this right now i think that they're absolutely primed for this i think that they probably understand that a lot of people look at them as how you and i could look at them as mm-hmm. and, you know they don't have a whole lot of team good teams that they play they don't have a whole lot of good teams in their conference their conference really no one knows w- what that is w- ricky thought it was the whack it's the w- k- k. and yeah, i i, I, I think don't know
1: i don't know if you can phonetically say it i i guess we'll just call it the west coast conference
0: i i, I just think that they get lost and people forget about them because they talk about the Dukes, the North Carolinas. Plus
1: they are the West Coast team. The teams
0: like that, you know, they, they get lost. Mm-hmm. And even, even UCLA, I mean, UCLA is on the map this year. But I think in the past, you, those types of teams have gotten lost. And Gonzaga is making a statement. They've made a statement. They're number one right now. And I think that this team really is primed to make a run in the tournament a nice run.
1: I'm going to bring back some history. You got you guys know me. I'm very superstitious and I think that history, I really believe in the phrase that history be, like repeats itself. Um and it, more importantly, the one if we don't learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And
0: Look at you, Mr. historian.
1: If if, if I'm going off of that, Gonzaga fans run to the hills. Run to the hills because you're <laughs> losing in the second round. Because the last time you were number 1, you said, what was that, 2013? 2013, 2013, yeah. 2012, 2013, or 2013,
0: 2014? 2013.
1: Okay, so if we're going off <laughs> of that season, you're losing the second round. Because that was the year the national championship was Louisville, Michigan. That was the year Wichita State made it to the Final Four, lost to Louisville. Who beat Gonzaga in the second round? I'll give you a hint. I just said them. Who beat him? Wichita State. Wichita State, the 76-70, to 70, that was the 9 over the 1. That was the year LaSalle is the 13th seed, beat Kansas State by 2, beat Mississippi by 2, who upset Wisconsin, and then Wichita State beat um, LaSalle and then beat the Ohio State Buckeyes by 2 in the Elite 8. So if you're Gonzaga, you're thinking, oh, that was the year we were number one and we were a one seed going into that tournament. Probably doesn't bode well for us this year. But the past two years, let's look at that because that's more recent history. Last year, you get to the regional semifinals. You lose in the Sweet 16 to Syracuse at the UC. The year before that, you get to the Final Four. You lose to Duke, who won it all. And, I mean, that kind of snapped a streak of 14, 13, 12, and 11 where this Gonzaga team got beat. They got beat in the second round. They lose in the second round to Wichita State. They lose in the second round to Ohio State. They lose in the second round to Arizona. They lose in the second round to BYU. If history repeats itself, like 2013, they're going to lose in that second round, but this Gonzaga team, maybe this could be the year that they finally get over that hump. Because guess what? The year they did go to the regional final, they had a powerhouse of a team. And I'm going to say powerhouse because of the kind of legacy that that team has in Duke. When Duke gets to the Final Four, you'd be in good good company to put your money on Duke to go to that national championship especially if they're playing a team like Gonzaga. We just talked about Duke. There's probably no way they get to the Final Four because they're not going to be that top seed. This could be a year that Gonzaga gets all the way. They just got to turn it on, and that's what they have to do. They have to turn it on. It's a big thing about the tournament. Who gets hot at the right time?
0: So right now I think we are looking at Kansas, Villanova, Gonzaga, and Baylor as number one seeds mm-hmm. right now. Do you think, and who do you think will no longer be a number one seed when we when we get to the end when of we, the year? When we get to the end of the year,
1: I think I got to look at it. Like to me, the two the weakest of the two one seeds, and I when I say weakest, I mean the ones that I could see getting bounced out, Baylor or Kansas. I think this Gonzaga team, especially because of the conference they play in, even if they lose a game, they'll still be a one seed. I think Villanova Villanova has the better chance of the other three to win their conference tournament. I look at the other two, Kansas and Baylor, they both have something in common. Who did they lose to? West Virginia. This is. These are teams that can get upset like— Kansas can. Kansas is the one I could put my money on to win the Big 12 tournament. Baylor, I think, will get upset before they get to that point, but I wouldn't be surprised if neither Baylor or Kansas win the Big 12 tournament this year. So I think that's going to be—it's going to come down between Baylor and Kansas, and if one of those teams want to be a one seed, they have to win their conference tournament because if—I'll ne- put it this way, if neither of those teams win their conference tournament— Then looking at the two seeds, North Carolina, if they win their tournament, could be a two seed. Kentucky, if they win the SEC. Arizona could be a Like, to me, it would go in this order. North Carolina would be first in line, then Arizona, then Kentucky. But it's like this thin, like really marginal thin lines between those three. Oh, and I can't forget Louisville, who's also a two seed right now in Joe Lenardi's bracket. So there there are going to be teams chopping at the bit to get a one seed this year in the tournament.
0: Ricky, another another thing I wanted to bring up really quickly was that in points per game, Gonzaga 13th with just over 85 points per game, and then points allowed per game. They are 9th mm-hmm. in points allowed per game with just over 61. So the team is playing defense. Wow. Something we don't see in the NBA anymore. It is really nice to be able to see that they are winning based on being able to play defense, being able to do things like that. So I would I would just absolutely have to say Gonzaga, I think, deserves all the credit for being a number 1 team. I think they are absolutely legit.
1: And the one thing I want to correct myself on, because I know someone already did it in the comment section, 2015, I said Final Four, I meant Elite Eight, they lost to Duke. Gonzaga has never made it to, well, I'm looking back since 95, have never made it to the Final Four. So that would be something that would be a first for them. They've made it to the Elite Eight one, two, I want to say three times. And each time they lost to Connecticut in 1999. And then, no, only two. It was Duke and then Connecticut are the only times they've even made it to the Elite Eight since 95. So even making it that far would be a big feat for this Gonzaga team. But if they're a one seed, maybe they can make it to the Final Four this year and do some damage uh, in in the actual fucking Final Four.
0: Well, Ricky, we are going to wrap it up. Any final thoughts that you have about Gonzaga?
1: Oh, well, is it just for Gonzaga or overall? So just Gonzaga, my final thought. Just thoughts?
0: Gonzaga, okay. Duke, whoever you um, want to do, whatever you have a final with, thought about.
1: With Gonzaga, I think it's just, you know what, they just got to take it one game at a time. Don't let the number one seed get to your head. Coach Few, great coach, has had this program going and has them on the right foot to where if they just get the job done, they'll be a one seed in the tournament.
0: And now final thoughts for anything else?
1: Well, hey, usually it's you that gets to give uh, your final thoughts. Oh, trust me. I thoughts. still am going to give my oh, final you are. Well, thoughts. You I, want, I want
0: your final thoughts, we too. We can't
1: miss uh, Swanee's final thoughts. But, no, with my final thoughts, I just want to take a nod back to the the first segment we've talked about today on the podcast. And it's one of those things where it makes me sick to my stomach that something like that is happening. I hope it makes you sick to your stomach as well, and I just hope that something happens at Baylor that is actually going to change the problem and we're not just going to sit here and brush things under the rug like we've been doing for the past however long this has been going on because I haven't been involved in it. I don't even know when it started.
0: Ricky, I completely agree. Uh, my final thoughts uh, are much, much less uh, – serious i was just going to say i'm very excited for the super bowl this weekend super i am very excited for the super bowl this weekend and i i absolutely love the super bowl because you're able to get together with friends you're able to eat some finger finger food some sandwiches i love those little sandwiches that you get in the meat and cheese trays those are just on point and buffalo chicken dip one of my friends always makes it it's absolutely outstanding delicious if if you have never had it before, you've you've got to be able to you, you've got to make it or have someone else make it, and then you try it.
1: Well, the thing I was going to say, you, you usually know what the uh, Super Bowl means. And off camera, you can't see him. He's sitting right over here as Mark Weber. The week after the Super Bowl, it's onside kick podcast anniversary. So we just had this past week the fast break podcast anniversary. Next week after the Super Bowl, we're going to have the onside kick podcast anniversary, and then ours is in June, big guy. How many years are we doing this? And this is the first time you've actually hosted the primetime podcast as well. We gotta, we gotta give it up, give it up for Brandon. First time, first time hosting the primetime podcast. Oh,
0: geez. you well, I, I've, <laughs> no, I've never wanted to take away the the thing that you love doing so much, which is which is sitting on this side of the table. I just table. love
1: doing the podcast, with you, big guy.
0: Oh, that is just too sweet. Well, <laughs> well, thank you everyone for for tuning in, and and we absolutely appreciate it. It, it, it has been a lot of fun. I'm. Not going to be on this side every week. I'm going to switch back over to that side. Ricky's going to get his chair back uh, where he can uh, have all the fun and all the power and all the
1: control. So,
0: Ricky, if there's anything else that, that you'd like to say or anything else that you'd like to say to the to the viewers.
1: I just want to thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. Go ahead. Hit that subscribe button down below and let us know what you thought about anything we talked about today.
0: Did you see what I did? I didn't know exactly what I was <laughs> going to say, so I threw it to Ricky because he knows exactly I got what he's going to say it I got you to back, wrap big it up. guy. For Ricky Woodman, Brand Swanson saying so long, but keep it right here on MVP because we always have good content each and every day. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most
1: Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about
0: anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.